Well, if you thought it was the government's job to protect you from the truth, congratulations, you got what you asked for. Because Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger in a House Judiciary Committee meeting are allowing us to see the Democrats and how they believe that the truth is a liability. Now, how can a society exist where the truth is a problem? Now, we're seeing that on top of the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, one of the biggest bank collapses in history in the midst of recession and in the midst of incredible inflation. And we're also seeing the narrative about January 6th slowly but surely unravel. With all of that going on, it leaves us asking the question, what should be done about what is going on in society? And more importantly, who will do something about it? We'll talk about that and more today on Indie Think. If you're waiting for interest rates to go down in an inflationary cycle during the midst of a recession, well, then there's some more basic math that you need to know, that the Democrats who are in charge largely of our government right now believe that it is possible to spend more money than God created. Now, if that isn't enough to scare you into making a financial decision that will actually benefit you, you should at least do it with both feet on the ground and do it because it just makes common dollars and cents to get your future in order by purchasing a brand new home. And you can do that by going to our friends over at the Kevin Blair team with Element Home Loans. All you need to do is log on to kbmtg.com today where you can get pre-approved for a home loan and you can do it with a company that cares about integrity and cares about shooting straight with you. But again, you need to go to kbmtg.com today to let them show you how they can help you secure your family's financial future. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Now, in the past on the show, I've argued that the Death of God movement started by Nietzsche long ago has had reverberations into the present, and we're experiencing the consequences of a continual shift towards secularism from a moral center based in in a biblical understanding of reality. Now, the more that we've shifted away from the Bible, we've come to understand world from a secular perspective, and there are casualties in the midst of that. As G.K. Chesterton said, that when men stop believing in God, it doesn't mean they start believing in nothing, but that they are willing to believe in anything. And one of the casualties of the death of God movement started by Nietzsche is the death of manhood, because we no longer have a standard for what an actual man looks like. Now, if that's not true, why in the present do we define manhood essentially as a person who is able to accomplish numerous sexual conquests, leaving behind brokenhearted women in a trail of fatherless kids who only wanted a dad but instead got a boy themselves for a dad? Why do we equate manhood with how much you can bench press rather than how much personal responsibility you can take for the world around you? So in other words, we have a group of men who are not willing to stand up as there are children being marched into gender clinics around the United States and being mutilated. We don't have, by and large, a group of men who are willing to stand up in the face of drag queen story hour and drag queen brunches where children are invited to come and enjoy the pleasures of men and G-strings. If there are anybody or is anybody in society that should take a stand against these things, it should be men. Now, I want to give you an, an analogy, an illustration for this, and this comes from the Bible. Now, you may not be like me. I believe the Bible is true, but even if you don't believe it is true, then I just want you to understand that there's a deeply 
meaningful spiritual truth in the story that I'm going to share with you that applies to all of us, regardless of what we think about the Bible. And it comes from Genesis 3. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, this is the story where the fall of man happens, sin has entered the world, Adam and Eve have eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and now they are hiding from God. It says that God walks through the garden and that instead of calling to them, he calls for the man, first and foremost, to ask what just took place. Now, God has infinite foreknowledge, and he is omniscient, so he knows exactly where Adam is, but Adam is nonetheless hiding, and so he calls out for Adam. Adam comes out of hiding. He's still hiding a little bit because if you know the story, well, yet again, he still has that loincloth of fig leaves around him to protect his nakedness, and Adam speaks to God, and he says, hey, God, you know, I was just just hiding over there because uh, I heard your voice and I was afraid. Now, a couple of things about that story. First and foremost, this is Psychology of Humanity 101. Adam steps out of the bushes, and he's still hiding. Because like most people, he doesn't want to admit full responsibility. He's willing to come out just a little bit and and acknowledge what's going on around him, but won't take full responsibility. He even blames the woman and says, hey, it's the woman you gave me, God. But he, he doesn't take full responsibility because he's still hiding, right? He's still hiding something um, when he comes and speaks to God. But then the other thing is this, is that he he's hiding in the first place, and he's doing so while saying, hey, I, I was hiding because I was afraid of your voice. When the truth is, is he wasn't hiding because he was afraid of God's voice. He's hiding because he knows he is guilty. See, again, this is exactly how we act when we have to be confronted with the world around us, the way it has taken shape, and our personal responsibility for it. By and large, we only admit as little as we possibly can, and we lie to ourselves. In fact, we're the masters of justification for our actions. Well, it's okay if we do it, but if other people do it, of course not. That should be judged Incredibly, this is you know the intolerant, tolerant crowd uh, that that tolerates everything they want to tolerate until they find somebody who disagrees with them, and then they should be totally intolerant of that person and what they actually think. I've covered this on the show before too, but suffice to say, the whole point is that. There's this idea that sunlight is the best disinfectant, but by and large, we want to stay in the mole hole so that we don't get whacked when we come out of the mole hole because we know that we are in part responsible for the world around us either by our actions because we've deliberately created it or we've indirectly created the world around us by our silence. And the cure for that is for real men to emerge to take the fig leaves off and to take responsibility for the world around them and their own complicity for what has taken place. But very often we have a society of men who are not doing that because they are far from God. Now, you might say to yourself that, you know, this is, this is to be expected, especially if you're a Christian, right? Because we live in a secular society, and secular society is, is kind of inundating things, and that's what we're pointing the finger at. Well, today, I hope you know, I'm not just pointing the finger at secular society, but I'm pointing the finger at you and at me, especially for those of us who are Christians, because in the present, we're actually seeing some people take a stand, and we're seeing some people actually make a real difference in society. And some of those people, by and large, are secular. Uh, The vast majority of them, in fact, are. See, when we should have Christianity today taking a stand and and even writing retractions for the way that they did yeoman's work for Fauci and Francis Collins during COVID, 
or when we should have Christianity Today on the front pages of their magazines standing up against the gender mutilation of children or the murder of children in the womb by the hundreds of thousands. Instead, we have secular organizations like the Daily Wire doing that, while Christianity Today represents more today than they do Christianity. See, the problem is, is that the people who should be standing up, the people who believe in God, believe in a standard, believe in right and wrong, good and evil, who believe that they have a responsibility, are the ones who should be standing up, but so often today are not. And instead, we're seeing secular people do the standing for us. Now, I want to make a disclaimer real quick, because I think it's the responsibility of men and women to shape the world around us in the best way that we know how. But if there is anybody that is responsible for doing it, it is men. And I would say specifically Christian men. But why all the silence? See, right now we're seeing Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger, two secular journalists as far as I know. In fact, I think I've heard Matt Taibbi talk about it before and says, and say that he, is, that he doesn't believe in God. And certainly Matt Taibbi used to write for the Rolling Stones and is an incredible leftist. But these two men are willing to take arrows and take the criticism. A lot of it's coming their way right now because they were willing to release the Twitter files that were given to them by, we don't reveal sources here at IndieThinker, but of course it was revealed by Elon Musk. Now, Musk gave them these files, and, and why shouldn't they publicize it? Why shouldn't they tell the world what's going on? Well, because there's a group of Democrats who don't believe that you can handle the truth. And so Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger are testifying and did just recently before a House Judiciary Committee meeting on what the contents they saw uh, comprised and why they released those files in the first place. And the Democrats show us something very, very interesting that, if anything, men need to take a stand against, and these men are. So check it out. I'm not exaggerating when, when I say that you have called before you two witnesses who pose a direct threat to people who oppose them. It's funny. When people have to go through that, exactly. This is unacceptable. I'm ready for it. I don't know if a lot of other people are. But just as it was unacceptable for Kevin McCarthy to provide 41,000 hours of sensitive security footage to a biased talking head in an effort to rewrite what happened on January 6th. This is a new Republican playbook, apparently. Risk American safety and security to score political points. Now, these committee hearings are just so incredibly frustrating. They are basically the Mr. and Mrs. Universe competition of incompetence. Um, And congratulations, Democrats, win, because here again, we see them very concerned whenever journalists tell the truth. That should be very telling to you. But let me steal man their side for just a moment so that I can try to be as fair as possible. Well, I would say that when they do these kind of viral takes at these committee hearings where they want to undermine a narrative, I would say perhaps this is the only way they have to do it. Uh, So they need to show up and show out and maybe even be a little bit over the top so that they can undermine the narrative of uh, people like uh, Michael Schellenberger and Matt Taibbi. And so they put on these performative displays at these House committee hearings where uh, they're just trying to fight for the truth. Now, here's the problem with that. Um, If they wanted the truth, they would actually be willing to interact with the material rather than attack Schellenberger and Taibbi, which is exactly what they're doing for just being shills. They could ask for the Twitter files to be released to them 
And then they could see the information themselves and then they could make their own judgments. But rather than actually do anything that would take that kind of intellectual credulity, they actually just want to attack these men who are taking a stand right now. And here's why. Here's the real problem at the end of the day. And I think we know this, that the left has dominated the mainstream media for a long time. The advent of social media was a threat to them. And so they developed a game plan the same way that they had a monopoly over the mainstream media, take that same monopoly and have it over have it over social media so that you can control the hearts and the minds of those in this generation because you don't want people thinking for themselves because the greatest threat to liars is the truth. And as a result, they, they are, know that their, their monopoly is threatened in the present because social media is now, um, is now turning, in, in a sense, with the release of these Twitter files. And we're seeing the truth that actually one political aisle, uh, one, one side of speech was being was being hushed while the other was obviously allowed to do whatever it wants. Now, that's really what's going on at the end of the day. Otherwise, we would have our politicians fighting for the release of more information. And as you saw, they're doing the same thing with January 6th. Why should the public know the truth? And the truth can't be revealed except through our sources because we need to be the ones who are detailing the truth for you. See, they think you're dumb and you can't think for yourself, which shows us if anything, men in the present need to take a stand and they must do so and in thinking for themselves because there are other people who will do your thinking for you if you don't. So Schellenberger and Taibbi, um, they did essentially what, what Adam should have done. They rose and they answered for what is going on in the world around them. They're the ones right in the smack dab middle of the media kind of conglomerate enterprise in our present. And they're saying, hey, we actually want to do what journalism is supposed to do. And we're going to do our best to make sure that we reclaim journalism in the present. So they're taking responsibility for, for the things that they potentially have created and certainly those in their, in their profession have created. But, but here's the more broader point for each and every one of us. I hope we understand, especially as men today, that we have an obligation. We have an obligation to love growing. And here's what I mean by that. If we're going to be men and we're going to take a stand for what's going on in society, we have to have an outlet for speaking the truth. Now, for many of you, you don't have a podcast, you don't have a pulpit of sorts, and maybe you don't have a platform to really communicate. So the one place you can communicate is on social media, but so very often, especially those Christian men out there who are very silent on social media, they use this excuse. Social media is not the right place for me to, uh, to communicate these things. I'd rather do that on a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Well, in my experience, the vast majority of people who say that aren't even doing so in a one-on-one -on -one conversation. They're not talking about it at all, and they're just using excuses. And I would argue this, that if you love growing, social media is a great place to do that. You can exercise your ideas out into the public, and you can let sunlight be the best disinfectant by sharing your ideas on social media, regardless of the kickback for some of them. Because the truth is, is that by and large, many men are not willing to stand against the mutilation of children and the murder of, of children in abortion clinics online because they're just afraid of being castigated. They're afraid of the kickback. But the moment you start taking your future into your own hands and realizing that, hey, even if you're wrong on some points, maybe communicating on social media is a great place for you to grow so that you can exercise your ideas out in the public square. After all, that is what social media is all about, right? So for those of you who say, well, we just want to focus on Jesus and we don't want to talk about all these other things. Oh, all these other things? What other things exactly? 
you mean the mutilation of children and the murder of babies. You don't want to talk about those things. Somehow, I think Jesus thinks those things are important, and we should talk about them too. The other thing is this, is that I think we need to get back, if we're going to truly be real men standing up for society, we need to love winning. And again, this is all of us, but especially men. If you're tired and you're worn out and you're annoyed by all of the outrage, can I just, can I just tell you this? No one gets that worn out and that annoyed when you're winning. See, winning is incredibly euphoric. So if you're worn out and tired, it's because the vast majority of men that should be standing shoulder to shoulder with you in the fight are actually totally absent. They're gone. They're not on the battlefield and they never planned on going there in the first place because they want to busy themselves just just enough to put their eyes down to sneak back into the mole hole so they don't have to get whacked for the world around them. And then when they do poke their head out and see the world that they created with their silence, they're somehow surprised. But the reality is, is that we have an obligation, especially those of you who are dads, to create a better world for our kids than the one that, that we had. So if we're actually in that fight, guess what? Those of us who are worn out, those of us who are sick and tired of all of the talking, actually don't get that tired because we realize that the talking can make a difference. This is what the Daily Wire is showing us when they're standing up against things like uh, gender mutilation and actually getting it outlawed in places like Tennessee. And then we need to, once again, we need to love others. See, there has never been a disconnect between a, or a recipe for love uh, without the truth. So if you're going to love people, you have to have the truth. And we have to be willing to tell it. A good marriage is predicated upon this very thing. Tell me what marriage actually exists and is healthy if it doesn't have two people willing to tell the truth to each other. So if we love growing, we love winning, and we love others, it's time for men to take a stand. And we'll talk about how we can do that in our stories today. By now, you've heard of the man James O'Keefe in Project Veritas, and of course, he was added again in a video that was just recent re recently released on social media that shows uh, O'Keefe exposing a New York Times journalist about January 6th and what actually took place there that day. So I want you to hear what this individual has to say when O'Keefe does his big reveal, comes out and speaks to the man, and uh, wh what takes place is, is just incredibly eye-opening, so check it out. You're on tape, and you're talking about January 6th, and I would like your comment for the story. We're launching this tonight. It doesn't look good. It's about January 6th. Uh, quote, it was like me and two other colleagues who were there on January 6th outside, and we were just having fun. I know I'm supposed to be traumatized, but like all these colleagues who are in the Capitol building were like, oh my God, it was so scary. I'm like, what do you want? It's just, I'd like your comment. I'm, I'm, I'm a, you're not gonna, you've already commented, you're already on tape. We're gonna, hit We're gonna do you, you justice, and if you think I'm giving you a hit job, I'd like you to tell me why. Who are you texting right now? I'm trying to text But you knew that you were being spoken to. And, and yeah, do I, will I stand by those comments? Absolutely. You will stand by the comments. I mean, I don't know what comments, if you tell me the comments. I, I'll show you. It's not a big deal as they're making it. They were making it too big a deal. They're making it this organized thing that it wasn't. Uh, there's a tug of war. This is a quote from you. Quote, tug of war at the New York Times between reasonable people and some of the crazy leftists. Unquote. So, would you be willing to sit down with me and speak on the record about this? No way. Why not? All right, now, after all that, I just have to ask you, do you believe our intrepid media? 
Because for those of you who have implicit trust in them and think that they tell you the truth on a regular basis, well, you just heard from a New York Times reporter, a guy by the name of Rosenberg Matthew, I believe. And he told you that uh, intentionally there are people trying to make a bigger deal of January 6th than it actually was, which seems to confirm what Tucker Carlson released in in his footage of the tapes, where we see that the Q, QAnon shaman is walking around, escorted by police throughout the Capitol building. We see a large majority of the people um, not being violent or being insurrectiony. Now, I'm I'm going to diverge with Tucker here and say that I, I don't think that this was a friendly tour around the Capitol. There were a bunch of bad, motivated actors there that day that were acting like a bunch of idiots. However, that this was some calculated insurrection and planned by Donald Trump to try to usurp authority and take America away and destroy the Constitution. Like, this is all nonsense. By now, I hope you know that the narrative that you heard about January 6th is nothing more than a lie. And all of this leads us to something more important, that if we could have trusted them before— um, I, I don't know, but I know now in the present, and maybe it's always been this way, that we cannot source our information socially, that we have to think for ourselves. Now, get as much information as you can from many, many different sources. So uh, as I think Chesterton said this, he said that we keep an open mind the same way we keep an open mouth so that we can then close it around something solid. So what I'm not saying is, is that we don't get information and we don't be open-minded about stuff. Yes, be open-minded as much as you possibly can be, but then set your teeth around solid, truthful, factual information that is often not going to come from our mainstream media. You you have to look for sources outside of the mainstream if you're going to actually stay informed. But then most of all, do your thinking for yourself. Let the litmus test of common sense lead you to important information. And then I would just say this. In a world where we're supposed to be informed by the media and they're supposed to help us apprehend reality, because ultimately that is their job in a sense, is to help us understand the way of the world and what's going on in the world. I still have to come back and ask this question. By what standard do we judge the information that we receive? Really, in a world where we're consistently throwing away, you know, like the Bible as some folkloric uh, patriarchal text that has nothing to do with my life. Like, have you read it lately? I mean, honestly, by what standard are we going to judge right and wrong? Because if it's merely just arbitrary, then all we do is we find ourselves picking up our own arbitrary stones and throwing them at each other. And there is this old saying that people who live in glass houses can't throw stones. But you know the one person who can actually throw a legitimate stone but never wishes to is God. Because he's actually right in everything that he says. You don't have to believe that, but you do have to understand that it would be good, right, if we had that kind of anchored source in society that we could trust, that kind of firm foundation that we could truly rely upon. Well, what if I told you that there was a source of truth that would not only take care of all the aches and pains of your soul, but also inform you about the most important things in society today? That it really does have a lot to say to you in the present about understanding and mooring yourself in a world that is constantly dictated by lies. Now, I say that too in the midst of what is inevitably a huge a hugely important story because the second biggest bank collapse, <laughs> the first being under a Democrat and the second being under a Democrat, should catch all of our attention. Just recently, SVB or uh, Silicon Valley Bank 
just failed abysmally, and it is the second biggest bank failure in um, recorded American history. So right now, this bank is trying to be auctioned off, and more than likely, it won't be. Um, but it but it it totally failed. And the reason this is important for you guys, not only because it's the second biggest bank failure in the midst of a uh, a inflationary and recessionary cycle where the economy is just incredibly awful ever since Joe Biden took office and he's done nothing to make it better. Um, not only is that happening, but also Silicon Valley Bank is the hub for tech startups and the tech and the tech industry. That's why it's called Silicon Valley Bank. And so a lot of it's a business incubator for a lot of different banks. So in so in other words, this has major implications, much like the bank crisis of 2008. Only this time it's for uh, it's for the tech industry, which I think it arguably runs a lot of our society. So. Um, I'll link an article down below that you can read, but I'll spare you it now and just tell you essentially what's what's happening. So um, the FDIC insured some of the deposits in this bank up to $250,000. There's a bunch of money that is not insured by the FDIC at all, and then any money above that $250,000 is not insured. But the government has said uh, via Janet Yellen that there is no not going to be a big bailout for uh, Silicon Valley Bank. Here's her saying that. Have you also ruled out that kind of government intervention? Well, let me be clear that um, during the financial crisis, um, there were um, investors um, and owners of systemic large banks that were bailed out and we're certainly not looking and uh, the reforms that have been put in place means that we're not going to do that again but we are concerned about depositors and are focused on uh, trying to meet their needs now here's the big problem with our friend from the shire janet yellen coming out of the woodwork to tell us that there will be no bailout well of course there is going to be a bailout not quite of the sorts of 2008, where the stick it to the establishment Democrats absolutely in bed with the the establishment uh, fund these big banks. And And I'm not even saying that they shouldn't have done so completely. I'll make that argument here in a moment. But suffice to say, there is going to be a bailout. The FDIC only insured some of these um, accounts, like I said before, but the um, the Fed has already come out and um, said, uh, they're sorry, the Treasury Department has already come out and said that they're going to make sure that every depositor account is funded. And where does that money come from? By the way, let me remind you that um, the U.S. government does not have their own money. Yes, they control a printing press, but they don't just print money at will and just pay for stuff. The money that they have comes from taxpayers. So who's paying for that uh, for that funding of those accounts? Well, of course, you are, because they're using your money to do it. Now, I'll just say this. Um, the reason I bring this up in the first place is because if the government didn't insure those accounts, or if there were runs on banks across the United States, if the government didn't come to back up the assurance of banks like Silicon Valley Bank, like they're doing right now, our country would fall into a tailspin. People would go grab their money out of the banks before the uh, before they could close down the bank and take their money with them. So of course, that's only human nature and that's only it only makes sense that that people would do that. So the government stops that by saying, hey, don't take your money out of the bank. We'll make sure we insure those deposits, even the ones that weren't insured. But of course, there's a long-term aftermath for all of that stuff. But should they do it? I, I think there's an argument that perhaps the government should have a role in backing up some of these banks within certain parameters. Because if they don't, it spells the end of America. 
which is really why I want to bring this up. Because if we need men in the present to help us do anything, it is to recognize our own frailty, that that we can see the demise of America with just with just the simplest, simplest straw that can break a camel's back. Listen to this article as it talks about what what is taking place and listen to what potentially could happen with a bank crisis like this. And this from the AP, the U.S. government moves to stop potential banking crisis. In a sign of how fast the financial bleeding was occurring, regulators announcing that the New York-based Signature Bank had also failed and was being seized on Sunday at more than 110 billion in assets. Signature Bank is the third largest bank failure in U.S. history. In an effort to shore up confidence in the banking system, the Treasury Department, Federal Reserve, and FDIC said Sunday that all Silicon Valley bank clients would be protected and able to access their money. They also announced steps that are intended to protect the bank's customers and prevent additional bank runs. This step will ensure that the U.S. banking system continues to perform its vital roles of protecting deposits and providing access to credit to households and businesses in a manner that promotes strong and sustainable economic growth the agency said in a joint statement. In other words, all it would take is a single bank failure to bleed out the U.S. economy because people could start running, making runs on other banks. And if they started withdrawing their money and people lost confidence in the banking system of America, then it would spell the, the disastrous demise of America. Just with this one straw, just with this one straw, we could break the camel's back of America's future. This, this tells me that there's an impermanence in America that we often take for granted, that this thing that we love, this first world nation, this strongest military in the, the world that in the world has ever known, the, the, the number one superpower in the world, America, could, could fail just simply because of a singular bank failure. It reminds me of this, that there is good reason for people in the present to be incredibly distressed about the world in which we live and even sometimes depressed about the world in which we live when we constantly see the institutions in America failing before our very eyes and being undermined. It's a reminder of the frailty of man and it's a reminder of the impermanence of America. And it's a reminder too that we need to encourage people to put their trust in things that actually can stand, a stable anchor, a rock as it were, a Jesus as it were. You need Jesus, bro, in order to Truly put your help, hope in something bigger than this world. Otherwise, look, I get disenfranchisement. I get disillusionment. The problem with the deconstructionist out there is that they're willing to destroy everything and then wonder why nothing has the kind of confidence and the kind of um, stability that they won't be disillusioned by. Uh, so the deconstructionist is constantly destroying things and then complaining about the things that they destroyed. While there is something that if we, if we kept it, it could be a rock for us in unsteady times. I guess all I'm saying at the end of the day is that the sovereignty of America is taken for granted by and large by Americans. We think we can fiddle with this system and fiddle with that system, continue to fund things with endless amounts of cash, and that there will never be an end date to this American experiment, as exceptional as it is. And it's a reminder that while we want to protect America with all of our heart and with all of our power, that we also need to have something stronger that we can put our faith in. And I want that for each and every one of us because it is truly a solve, a salve, as it were, to the, to the problems of, of America and the problems that we'll experience in the future in our lives on a personal basis and far beyond that. 
But that brings us to our final story about the Oscars, because that took place last night. And if there is a place where people are blissfully unaware of the world around them, it is in Hollywood. So Jimmy Kimmel once again starred as the host for the Oscars. And I won't say it was as bad as it could have been. Uh, It was actually amusing, not that funny in parts, but amusing enough to actually make him tolerable at times. But of course, I didn't watch it and nobody else in America did, so it didn't really matter. Just the clips that were available didn't look too awful, except there is one thing that we can come to expect from our Hollywood elites, and that is that they take the opportunity, wherever Ricky Gervais is not around, to reprimand people Now, when a bunch of spoiled, rotten millionaires and billionaires complain about how unfair the world is, um, yeah, it starts to get a little redundant and a little foolish, but it doesn't stop them. And it doesn't stop people like Jimmy Kimmel for calling for more more diversity and more representation out there, as he said this. As for Cameron, Kimmel used the Avatar director's absence as a way to make like Natalie Portman at the 2018 Golden Globes and comment on the distinct lack of female nominees in the best director category. I mean, how does the Academy not nominate the guy who directed Avatar? What, do they think he is a woman? The host specifically referenced two high-profile female-directed films that were snubbed, Till and The Woman King, and encouraged audiences at home to seek them out. Too bad the woman king herself, Viola Davis, wasn't in the audience. Considering her action hero transition, she could have joined Adonis Creed and Spider-Man in keeping the ceremony shenanigans free. So yeah, she could have also been the woman king in this capacity. She could have enslaved a bunch of black people, women and children and men uh, in the audience there that day, like the actual woman king did in history. But of course, we don't want to show that part of history. The reason the woman king was not in attendance and the reason Till was not represented is because none of these movies deserve to rise to the, to the, uh, to the category of best director, which I would, by the way, argue that Avatar number two didn't either. Um, so just just because a woman directed a movie and the movie happens to have some kind of message at the end of the day doesn't mean that the message is actually good. Most people saw The Woman King for what it actually is, a silly, pandering attempt to try to celebrate womanhood by trying to make women men. Why can't you celebrate womanhood by actually celebrating what women actually are, which by and large isn't machete-wielding killers? No, at the end of the day, what we have to do is revise history, make it so that these people weren't slave traders, and make it so that these people are actually action heroes. But of course, of course they're not. So um, that didn't stop others like Jamie Lee Curtis also from standing up and trying to ask for women representation after the Oscars. By the way, I will say this. Her acceptance speech was um, was mostly good except for one part uh, where she claimed she had two daughters. Just a little confused. Um, but her acceptance speech was, was mostly good and mostly true. I know it looks like I'm standing up here by myself, but I am not. I am hundreds of people. If anybody got anywhere, it isn't because they got there by themselves. Um, but, uh, but after the fact, she had these words to say. Obviously, I would like to see a lot more women be nominated so that there's gender parity in all these areas, all the branches, and we're getting there, but we're not anywhere near there, she explained. And of course, the inclusivity, which then involves the bigger question, which is how do you include everyone when there are binary choices? 
that's very difficult. And as the mother of a trans daughter, I completely understand that. And yet, to degender the category also, I'm concerned will diminish the opportunity for more women, which is something that I also have been working hard to promote. So it's a complicated question, she continued. But I think the most important thing is inclusivity and more women, basically just effing more women anywhere, all the time, all at once. <laughs> oh, boy. She's a riot, that one. Um, so real quick, what is a woman exactly? Uh, because if we can't answer that question, then we probably don't need to be talking about women winning best director. Um so, but let's just let's just step back for a moment and let's hear her out. So, Jamie Lee Curtis, Jimmy Kimmel, they want us to believe that women in Hollywood are not getting a fair shake. Now, this is a place where liberals are such bleeding hearts and leftists are a plenty, where homeless people can defecate on the street just so they can feel better about themselves and feel heartwarmed that they are so accepting and so tolerant. So, we're supposed to believe that a woman director comes in, brings in a great script, brings in a great cast, and that the the studio and the producers say, you know what, you're a woman, we just, we can't have that. So so there's, Hollywood is so eaten up with misogyny that they will not tolerate a woman director. That's what we're supposed to believe? No point in fact. What's actually happening is what's happening in high school women's sports and high school women's bathrooms is that we're allowing a group of people to invade those spaces all the time for the sake of being tolerant and for the sake of feeling compassionate. So if we see unlike uh, Jamie Lee Curtis seems to recognize that there are whole categories to represent women. In fact, she won an award in the best supporting actress role because we want to make sure that we affirm and acknowledge the contribution of women in the movie industry. Now, I understand it's not director, but, but still, those categories exist so that we can do exactly what her and Kimmel are calling for. So if we are already doing it, what are we really after? We're after this feeling, I think, that is totally undefined and will never truly be achieved. Maybe we're just after, at least they are, just after the applause of a woke studio audience that will applaud everything that they that they, that they say. Now, it's just like the narcissist in Hollywood to get an Oscar and to still desire yet more applause. It's not enough that they got rewarded for their performance in a movie that nobody saw, but, uh, but they, they want to uh, make sure that, uh, that they get applauded yet again. Here's, here's a real crazy thought. How about since we are representing women, since we are over the top in love with diversity, equity, and inclusion, how about we get serious about filmmaking and actually celebrate the stories that truly matter? See, if we do that, we might actually find ourselves slowly but surely creeping back toward biblical truths and biblical ideas and the Judeo-Christian ethic, a universal narrative that binds us all together. But Hollywood can't afford to do that. So instead, they try to chase after things that are already, already happening. Let me give you the illustration here. Did you know any of the movies that were up for Best Director or Best Picture? And did you see any of them? The movie that swept through the Oscars and actually won for Best Director was Everywhere All at Once, Everything Everywhere All at Once, uh, which you didn't see and I didn't see because it barely made its money back at the box office. Uh, it cost $25 million to make at least, and then that's not with the marketing budget, which at least was more than that, double that, and it only made $70 million in America. 
I remember Oscars in the past where people actually watched the movies that were nominated for Best Director and Best Picture, and people actually cared about those movies. But because we're caring about all the wrong things and celebrating all the wrong things, we can't actually find ourselves creating actually good content that makes people want to celebrate anymore. Perhaps we need to move back to things that actually matter, a definition of truth, so that we can actually celebrate the things that should be celebrated in society rather than constantly whining about diversity. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I need to step back, slow my roll down a little bit, and realize there was one movie that was recognized for the Best Picture category that, that people did go to watch and, and, and that it actually did make its money back and hundreds of millions more on top of that. And it's a movie that actually showcases a man standing up for truth and sticking it to China and standing up for things that actually matter. And it's a movie that should have won the Academy Award for Best Picture. And that, of course, is... Top Gun. But of course, it was robbed. Nonetheless, hopefully you watched it and enjoyed it, and hopefully you enjoyed today's show. If you did, I'd love to hear from you. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and go with God.